Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, open them to Mark chapter 10. Uh, we have just finished and completed off what's really an incredible week for us every year here at Judson Baptist because uh, we, we take a week, we stop, we tear up the whole church, we stick stuff all over the walls, we take stuff out of rooms, we redo the children's check-in. We, I mean, everything just gets messy. And messy is good sometimes because, you know, there's a proverb about that. It's like, you know, you don't get anything with a clean manger. You know what I mean? Like, like you, you kind of expect that if you have an ox and he's working for you, it's a little bit messy in the barn. And uh, we had a bunch of kids through here. In fact, we had 346 kids here this week with 189 volunteers, which is crazy. Now, I say that because... That's important for you to understand, you know, that's not our normal vacation Bible school week. And you know, this is, we pushed it further back, not knowing if we'd even be able to have vacation Bible school. We thought July gave us the best chance to do that. And it it worked out. It was great that we were able to do that. So grateful that we were able to do it. One of the things that comes out of that is that every year our kids participate in a mission offering and a a mission project. So the mission offering this year went to k for k which is one of our former mission partners, uh, which uh, Phil Johns, he lives in Lebanon, runs k for k That's Care for Kids. They, they go to uh, several countries in Africa and work with churches there to provide meals for orphans and widows. And the way that that works is really cool. Uh, they do it at churches because a pastor runs a site and the widows of that church come and prepare the meals three days a week for these children They get to eat, the kids get to eat, but what's crazy is that every month you get these newsletter updates and at all of these feeding sites across, I think they're in Kenya now and maybe maybe Rwanda, uh, maybe it's Uganda, I can't remember. But but what what happens is passerbys are always like, why are you feeding these kids all the time? And they get to share the gospel and they're literally, I I, I mean, it, it will be 150, 200 people every month saved at these K for K sites as people are engaged with the gospel. So it becomes this great extension of God's grace. And our kids brought thir- over $1,300 to be able to feed kids uh, with the Care for K ministry. And then we gave over 2,000 diapers this week to go to Legacy Mission Village, which is over here, which is one of our current mission partners. Many of you guys know Tim and William Mazzara, just great folks uh, who lead that ministry. They're gonna be part of our Global Impact Celebration uh, in just about a month and a half. Uh, they'll be here with us in September as we celebrate all that God has done over the past year in missions and our partnerships there. So that was incredible. Uh, I had the privilege of talking to our third and fourth graders this year and presenting the gospel. And out of our third and fourth grade classes, we had eight kids profess faith in Christ, which is incredible. We're grateful for that and praise the Lord for that. And we'll be following up with them. And I wanna just remind you about that. We have about 50 visits to make tonight. So we need you here at 6 p.m. to go out and go with us on go night for Vacation Bible School. We have about 50 families, either kids that profess faith in Christ or people that said, we don't have a church home. And we just go visit them and just say, we'd love for you to be part of what God's doing at Judson. Won't you come and and bring your kids back? Because Vacation Bible School kind of happens 52 weeks a year here with what we do on Sunday morning. Um, we, we really put a lot of emphasis in what happens here in the Sunday morning time period with that. So that will be important for them to be there. We also had a number of kids check their boxes saying, you know, like we, we wanna have more information about what it might mean to be a Christ follower. And so we were able to follow up with them. And I assure you of this, I was with the first grade this week and every day our first graders 
were hearing the Bible. They were being taught the Bible. Uh, and, and that happened across the board. You know, one thing that we say here is we have this, this big emphasis on children. And I kind of want you to see that. I want you to see it this week through the eyes of a child and why Jesus said children were important and how he uses an object lesson of a child to teach us a truth. So we'll see the object lesson and then the truth that's underneath it this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10. You know, in, in this kind of thing I was telling you about in our vacation Bible school and our Bible study class, we were playing a game. Uh, Terry McAllister was teaching our Bible story and uh, Marie was in there with us. And uh, we had, the, again, first graders, folks. And, and we had this, this game where they were picking out Bible books. I mean, it's just great to teach a first grader about the Bible. You hand them a Bible and Terry was having them. Here's how you can find Psalms. Did you know you can find the middle of the Bible and you'll find Psalms? Did y'all know that? If you didn't, you ought to go to Miss Terry's class. You'll learn some good and useful things. But one of the things we pulled out was the book of Exodus. And she said, somebody tell me something about the book of Exodus. And I love this because a little girl kind of, she kind of raised her hand and she was like, or maybe it was, it was Deuteronomy. It was Deuteronomy. Because she said, it's the fifth book of the Pentateuch. <laughs> I looked at Terry, I said, you better sit down and let her teach a little while. <laughs> I said, this is getting serious right here. Do y'all know what the Pentateuch, some of y'all don't even know what the Pentateuch is. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, five books of the Bible, the law, that's, what, that's the Pentateuch. First grade, folks, I was like, you know, golf clap for that. Come on, let's go. I was, I was excited, you know, but I want you to see this because why do we tear up the church every year? Why do we stop everything that we do? Why do we put all this money, time and resources, 200 of you volunteering, multiple people bringing their kids? Why on earth would we do this? I want you to see it. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to him in order that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Maybe the old translation, uh, suffer not the children, right? You know, don't make them suffer. Let them get to me. Don't, don't keep them away from me, the scripture says, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a little child will never enter. And after taking them in his arms, he laid them, his hands on them and blessed them. Just to give you a little bit of reference for this that I think is helpful. Time period wise, this is really close to the triumphant entry that Jesus makes into Jerusalem. If, if you kind of, kind of uh, go, go over, it's just one chapter later, right, that he's making that entry in, in chapter 11. So there's a little bit going on here and we miss a little bit of the pressure perhaps that the disciples were feeling. That may be why they were kind of saying like, folks, keep back. Jesus is on his way somewhere. We're going somewhere. And they may have been feeling that pressure. Do you remember that John records that right before the triumphant entry, they went and went back to Bethany where Lazarus was and Lazarus had died. And do you remember that one of the disciples, when Jesus said, come on, we're going back. You know, they'd just been there and they had tried to kill Jesus. They tried to stone him. And I love this because one of the disciples goes, well, let's go and die with him. I mean, let's just, I mean, you just hear like, well, it's curtains for us. Come on, let's go. You know, I mean, just this kind of like resignation in their voice. So there may be some pressure around here, or it could be that they were kind of adopting what was the mindset for so many people of the day. You know, a lot of you grew up and were told, you know, children should be seen and not heard. In their day, it was, if you can't work on the farm, you ain't worth anything to me. I mean, you're just a liability to me. Get out of the way, kid. I don't need you right now. 
And so for Jesus to stop and welcome a child was crazy. And I want you to see this object lesson that he gives us here. This object lesson is beautiful. Don't you love how in the scripture, Jesus takes everyday things that you get to see, that I get to see, and he sets it right before you and says, now let me teach you something. So he says, you've all been familiar with a farm. Let me teach you something about a farm. You've seen a child. Let me teach you something using a child. You, you, you've seen how, how we do these things. I want you to see nobody puts a, a light under a, a, a lamp, a lamp stand and, and hides it under the table. You don't do that. Well, that makes sense. You know, you don't light the night light for the kids and then duct tape over it. That'd be mean. You don't do that. So Jesus comes and he says, look at this. He takes this child and it was more than just blessing the children. These children were young. The word that's used here and, and just kind of for reference, kind of biblical accountability when a person kind of transitioned between being a child and really being into that adulthood. It's why so many people really believe that Mary was really, in our estimation, kind of a young girl, not really a woman. She's probably not a, you know, 30 years old, had a career when God comes to her, right? I mean, she's a teenager because kind of that age of 13 was a big transition. One of my professors in seminary wrote a book called The Myth of Adolescence, basically saying, you know, that we say from the time you're 13 till now when you're about 25, you, you, you just lose your mind and go get to do whatever you want to with no responsibilities. That wasn't biblical. At 13, it was like, good, let's go to work, right? So probably when we talk about this, let's take it from infant to kind of middle elementary, upper elementary. VBS. You see? Jesus is doing this. And Mark tells us that as the disciples are pushing back on these kids who are trying to crowd around Jesus, because Jesus was dealing with some serious stuff. If we go back just to the story right before this, some folks had come up to Jesus and saying, hey, I want to divorce my wife. What do you have to say about it? So he's dealing with that. And then can you imagine? It's like some mom breaks through and is like, hey, do you mind blessing my kid? And the disciples were like, hey, we're dealing with some serious stuff here. Get the kid out of here. And it said Jesus became indignant, angry, really frustrated with this because they were missing something. They didn't understand what was about to take place. And I think for us, it's easy to say that, you know, we want to have a value here of, of putting a lot of effort into children's ministry at our church. Children were obviously important to Jesus. They're important to us. You know, when we ask you to leave the worship service and we ask you to go serve in one of our children's ministry classes, we're not asking you to babysit. Babysitters get paid. You don't, you know, it, it doesn't work that way. What we're asking you to do is to impart the word of God to these children. We're not asking you just to fill up time so that the parents can go do what they want. We're asking you to sit down. And, and here's the thing, from the time a child can, can start to talk downstairs, they're getting a Bible lesson. You say, why would you do that? They can't understand that. Well, every now and again, we do have some misses. You know, I mean, I, I remember uh, getting a couple of emails about, Pastor, why did uh, the preschool learn about Rahab today? That was a tough one for us to teach. I didn't write that lesson. Uh, you know, we buy curriculum and sometimes every curriculum writer misses one sometimes. You know, I mean, it's just kind of the way it goes. But don't you think our children need the word of God because they're tender. They're ready to receive it and we're trying to help them hide God's word in their heart. That's what I love about all these songs that we did. You know, you come to VBS and, and you see these kids doing all these motions and all these things. And one of the songs that I love that we did this year was called, Can You Dig It? You know, Can You Dig It? 
And my favorite part about it is that it had the gospel all the way through it. That, 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 so, so they're singing the song and they don't realize, A, admit to God that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus is the son of God. C, commit, I mean, it's the gospel. We're implanting this in them. It's a blessing for us to have children here in this church. It's a blessing for you to give your time to serve in our children's ministry. And I can't think of anything more important that we might do because they're not the future. They are the now. They're the now. And here's what the scripture tells us about that. First, it tells us that children are a blessing from the Lord. Psalm 127.3. They're a blessing. Every child that walks through this door is a blessing. They're important. They're loved. They're valuable. And here's what we also know. The overwhelming majority of people who give their life to Christ do so before they're 14 years old. The time is now. The time is now to raise up a generation of believers. And you know, Jesus wasn't too busy. And I want you to know our pastors weren't too busy. This week, our pastors, all of them serving in VBS. I was walking around with my little sign. Oscar and I and Casey, she was helping me one day. We were walking around with our little sign and going to different places. And you know, I just love that. I love that we get to do that. And you know, kids just give you the the greatest interactions. At the end of Vacation Bible School every day, I got to, to leave my group with, with my helper and then I would go help people get in car lines for dismissal, you know? So we get a little car tag and you walk in here and you're searching for that kid and I call out some little kid that I don't know, you know? And I would say, what's your name? Even though it's written on the thing, like, how are you? I, I'm Jeff, nice to meet you. And so I was walking out with this little girl out this door over here the other day and I said, what's your name? She told me, I said, I'm, I'm Jeff. It's really nice to meet you. Have you had a good day today? And she kept looking at me. And she said, you're on TV. <laughs> and I said, no, honey, I get confused with Matt Damon all the time. And it's, <laughs> I, I know, I know. I'm <laughs> but I said, I don't know where you would have seen me on TV. I don't, I don't know. And she was like, I said, you was I like acting in a movie or was I? And she was like, no, you were like reading the Bible. And I was like, that's right. I was like, I, I didn't think about it. Hey, TV land, you know what I mean? You know, they, we never started off to have a TV ministry. You know, COVID changed all of that, right? I mean, so, so you understand that that happens. And I just, I love that. And so this demographic of people that we have around us, we can't be too busy for them. That's an important interaction. That's an important interaction for you to go down into the preschool and give your life teaching children. That's an important interaction for you to be in our merge ministry, for you to be in our student ministry. It's not wasted. And Jesus is giving us this object lesson and he doesn't want us to miss it because there's a truth right underneath it. And I want you to see this. Jesus was using the children to point to our relationship to God and how we have to approach God. And to do that, we have to have faith like a child. Look back at verse 15. Jesus said, truly I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. How do children receive the kingdom of God? It's awesome. Children have trusting hearts. You know, do you remember how as your kids were young, there, there, was, there was this trust that would happen all the time. They, they trusted you. When we were in vacation Bible school this week, um, there was a mom dropping off her kid and she had maybe a two-year-old little girl, too young to be at vacation Bible school. And the little girl was running away from mom. It was awesome. 
She ran right in front of the pew where I was standing, and I said, run faster. I don't think she can catch you. And she was okay. You know, and she took off running, right? It was great. And I was telling one of our workers, it reminded me something. Y'all remember Pastor Brad used to serve with us here before God called him uh, to Oklahoma. I called Brad and told him this. Uh, I would see Brad. Brad has three boys, and they're all boy. And I would see Brad's kids, like, for instance, up here on a Sunday night running around or whatever, and Sunday afternoon running around. They'd be on the stairs. And Brad would be like, you need to come down. And I'd say, jump, dad'll catch you. Well, buddy, they'd take off. Pastor, quit telling them that. You know, they, they just do whatever you say, right? They trust. Not only do they trust me, but they trust that their dad's gonna catch them, right? They got it. Kids trust. When we come and we wanna enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to trust. You absolutely have to trust. They're not polluted in their thinking yet. And, you know, in our world as, as pastors and theologians, you go to seminary, there's tracks that you can study different things. And one of them is called apologetics. It's, it's how to make a reasonable defense for the faith. And that's important. But they're not skeptics yet. Children aren't. And we need apologetics. We need to make a reasonable defense of the faith. But arguing with people won't get them saved. You have to lay aside that and trust. And Here's the thing, you have to keep trusting because it doesn't just stop there. You have to trust that there's a God who loved you and made you, called you, named you, sent his son to die for you. You can't see it. I mean, we could take you to Israel with us and we can show you a tomb that's representative perhaps of where Jesus would have been buried and rose again. But we can't show you the cross. We can't, I can't demonstrate to you. I can't, like, you can't reach out and touch it. You have to trust it. And we do that by faith when we come to the Lord and we trust like a child. I lay aside my doubts and I take up what you're telling me here, Lord. I often think that children also come to faith before God with joy. Being around a kid is so fun. Do you remember the, the time in your life when things changed at your house between having a kid and having a teenager? When you had a kid, you'd get them a little birthday present and they were just so happy to get anything. You get a teenager, there's pressure, right? You gotta get the right thing. You bought that little girl that Barbie dream house and she was really happy about it, but she played in the box all afternoon, you know? And was just as happy with the box as she was the Barbie dream house because she was just glad to get something. It was joy. There was kind of this unbridled joy that comes in that. And, and we receive it with joy. When we come into the kingdom of God, we trust the Lord and it brings joy into our lives. And the contrast of this kind of idea that Jesus is giving with the object lesson, we get to see it because it's right in the next verses. Could you just read with me verses 17 and following? It's the story of the rich young ruler. And it really shows you the difference between trusting Jesus and not being able to trust Jesus. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, Honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I've kept all of these from my youth. And looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by the demand and he went away grieving 
because he had many possessions. When I think about this story, it's the exact opposite of a child. When I was sharing with our students and asking them, I, I, I do this often, I said, how many of you have ever done anything that was wrong? Every hand in the room. I ask that on a regular basis around here and a lot of y'all are like, you know, looking around like, I'm not, I'm not admitting to that. As adults, we try to weasel our way out of our wrongs. Well, I didn't honor my mom and dad because they were jerks. If you'd grown up in my family, pastor, you'd know that there was no way I could honor that They're terrible people. Well, yeah, I did lie about that, but I had to. I had to lie to get ahead. It's just what you do at our company. You, you kind of have to weasel your way through, pastor. It's what you have to do. Yeah, I, I, I did that. I, I might have coveted that thing, but I wanted, I, I, I wanted to get ahead. I needed to do that. We justify it. And I love that this guy, you keep all the commands. Oh, I've kept all of them. Yes. And Jesus says, well, because you're prideful and you believe you've kept all, I'm gonna hit you with one you don't see coming. Sell everything you've got and come and follow me. Well, I can't do that. Hmm. And Jesus, that one hurts. I can't do that. But a child comes. They don't think about the barriers. They don't think about all the stuff. They just, they lay that aside and they come with faith. And Jesus takes them every time. See, I think for a lot of us, we're waiting on having all the answers, but faith doesn't give us all the answers. Because I got things that I'm still waiting on God to explain. And I imagine that next year I'll turn the corner on something else and wonder, well, God, why did you do that? And it'll be pretty quiet. And he'll say, I'll let you know in heaven if it's a need to know thing. Or maybe you just don't need to know. You remember the why stage with your children? We need to do this. Why? Because I said so. <laughs> I don't have time to explain it. Let's go. You ever think that there's a lot that God might be saying to us, we need to do this, and we're too busy walking around going, well, why God, why God? And he's like, I don't, I don't need to tell you why, you just need to do it. You know, for the last few months, we've been talking to you about what it means to really understand faith and the gospel and to be saved. We've told you from the book of Ephesians that all of us are dead in our trespasses and sins. And do you remember what sins and trespasses were? A trespass is where you step across the line very willfully. I don't care, I'm doing it. A sin is that sin of omission, sins of omission, commission. You know, I omitted this, I didn't do it. Or sins I committed. And, and the Bible says we, we're filled up with both of those. And because of that, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And the scripture says, that Jesus came and died for us while we were still in the midst of all of that. He wasn't waiting on us to get it right. I was listening to somebody kind of debunk the myth that we've often heard where people say, well, you know, when I get my life right, I'll come to Jesus then. I got some things I need to get right. I heard this guy say this week, he said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's like saying, when I get in shape, I'll join a gym. Doesn't work, does it? Isn't that funny to think like that, that we would do that? But we do that, don't we? Because we feel like we need to do something. We feel like we have to, but we can't. It's what God did already through Christ on the cross. Jesus died in your place. He died in my place. Giving his life for us. Taking the death that should have been ours. The Bible says 
that Jesus was buried. He rose again by God's power and sits at the right hand of the Father and that every person who calls on the name of the Lord for salvation will be saved. Can you imagine if we were in Franklin this afternoon walking around downtown and it was like, what? It's Jesus. This is crazy. And everybody's crowding around Jesus. And remember, you know, this is, this is a little different for us because, you know, back then, it's unusual that people would have brought a child to Jesus because, I mean, we didn't have, you know, people like, hey, I'll fly to North Dakota to play hockey this week for my kid because they're going to get that scholarship. We weren't doing that. They weren't child-centered at all, right? It was like, you get out of the way. But imagine we brought our child to Jesus. Can you imagine this picture with me? And, and as we're getting there, some mom breaks through and then other moms start breaking through and it's like, bless my child, Jesus. Would you bless my child? And the disciples are like, hold up. We don't have time for this. We're headed to Nashville. And if you've been to Nashville, they are super lost in Nashville. So we got to get going. Have you been downtown lately? I mean, I'm talking about lost. It is wicked. It's decadent. We got to get downtown. And Jesus says, hold up. Can you imagine that picture of him taking all of those kids and blessing them, receiving them? That's what happens when a person comes to Jesus. Jesus doesn't let anyone say, uh, no, you can't come. He says, no, get out of the way, let them come. And then when you get there, Jesus has never said to anyone, nope, sorry, full, too busy, missed your chance, not interested, didn't die for you, died for him, not for her. No, he says, come. And he blessed them. When I think about that, it's an overwhelming picture to me of God's grace. Can you imagine people using Jesus like a, junk, a, a jungle gym, crawling all over him, little kids? Give me a piggyback ride, Jesus. And him being, come on, let's go. Have you placed your faith in Christ? Childlike faith that just says, I don't have all the answers. I never will. But Lord, you have my life. I want to talk to us as a church for just a second though. Because I think there's something here for us, those who are believers. Oftentimes it occurs to me that we're trying to grab Jesus and fit him in our lives. As if we offered the invitation to Jesus. Hey, I'm going over here. If you'd like to ride shotgun, come on. It'll be great. We'll roll down, be road tripping together. It'll be nice. And that's not exactly how it was. The invitation was from God to us to respond. So it's not us asking Jesus or God the Father to align themselves to us. It's God the Father saying, here is my son and aligning ourselves to him. Do you understand the difference? See, I think we sometimes miss that. And, and this week, one of my friends kind of said something that, that, that really struck me. He said, you know, when I was a parent of younger children, I'd often turn on the TV and say, uh, look, we're watching football. And my son would come in and say, dad, who are we for? And he'd say, we're going to pull for Florida State today. 
Because you know we love Coach Bowden. Coach Bowden's a believer. We, all right, Dad, we're in. We're going to pull for Florida State. Great. And we pull for Florida State. And he said, some of us as believers have stopped asking God, what are you for? What are you against? Instead, we've said, well, God could never. God would not. God would never do this. And I don't believe there's a God in heaven who would do it. And we need to stop and say, God, what are you for today? What does your word say? I need to align my life to that. I need to get on board here with the trusting faith of a child that saved me, and I need to live that out as a saved adult, as a saved student, as a saved young, as a saved young person, a college student. I need to look at the scripture and say, what does the scripture say? All right, God, if that's what you say is good, then that must be good. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to take my cues from other people. I take it from the scripture. God, you say it's bad, I'm gonna avoid it. I don't care what I feel about it. I need to have faith like a child and just say, okay, that's what you say. That's what we do. What about you? You find yourself asking God to come join your journey as if you're the master of the ship? Or did you come and give your heart, life, soul to Christ and join his journey. Which one is it? We need to be reminded of that, folks. Ours is not to conform God to our will, but to conform our will to his. You remember Jesus prayed that in the garden. Not my will, but yours, Father. If you would, let this cup pass from me, but again, not my will, but yours. In just a moment, we're going to take a second to respond with the faith of a child. And if you've never given your life to Christ and just relinquished control to say, you're the Lord, I am not, I follow you, save me today, I want to invite you to do that. And if you have done that, can I ask you that question? Or do you need to maybe undo some thinking and repent of some of that thinking that says, I don't believe that God would ever want that to be. I, I, I don't see that. I mean, I understand I read it in the scripture, but I, I'm not gonna live. I'm not gonna do that. Now would be a great time for us going forward to go, all right, Lord, where you go, I go. What you affirm is good, I say is good. If you say it's bad, it must be bad. I don't have to understand it all. Faith like a child. Bow your heads with me. If you've never given your life to Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. And I want to invite you to do that by just praying with you. And I assure you that the words that I'm about to pray, they're not some kind of magic formula. It's not that you have to pray this prayer. I change it up every time I pray it because a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves us. It's our faith placed in him. It's our confession that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. So, I invite you to pray along with me something like this. Lord Jesus, God the Father, I need you to save me. I have sinned. And I'm asking today for your forgiveness. I'm asking you to cleanse me and change me. 
I know there are so many things I have done willfully. Things I don't even know I should have been doing that I have omitted. Please save me. I believe you died on the cross, that you rose again, and as God's son are seated at the right hand of the Father. I confess you as Savior and Lord. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. If you did that for the very first time in your life, I'm going to ask you in just a moment as we stand and sing to come forward, take me by the hand and say, I'm ready to be saved. I've prayed to be saved. But I don't want to leave without praying for us as believers. So many times we just want to snatch that control back and we lose the childlike faith and the trust and we want God to explain things that he's not going to explain. I want us to have the faith to say, Lord, you may not give me the answer that I want. I've been praying about this. I'm asking about this and I, I don't know, Lord, but I'm going to trust you anyway. Let me pray for us. Father, as those who are in Christ today, we humble ourselves to your word and your will again. And we thank you for saving us. We thank you for calling us out of darkness, for making us alive when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And Father, we pray that as we humble ourselves, you would lift us up. We repent of worldly thinking. Father, where we've directly looked at your word and said, well, that can't be right. God, we've tried to align you to our lives so many times. Forgive us. Would you expose that in our lives? Let us see it. And let us repent. We affirm again your lordship over our lives, your lordship over this church, your lordship over our families, our businesses, our work school Lord help us to be obedient to your word to trust and obey we ask these things in Jesus name we pray